0: Welcome to An Abundant Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers. Author, educator, gardener, seed saver, and I help people all over the world learn to live regeneratively. We're talking about real solutions that help people right now that they can use in their daily lives, as well as things that are coming down the pipe and experiments that are coming along, like today's talk with Eddie Garcia. Talking about mealworms, Eating styrofoam, talking about regenerating dead soil using aquaponics, aquaculture. It's amazing. Let's dive right in.
1: Right, I'm, I'm ready right now to get this connected to the surfboard industry. Um, because uh, this little film that they made, they haven't really shot the water sports parts of it yet, but we're going to be shooting that over the next few months. Um, so I'm trying to link it up with my uh, surf and kite sponsors as well, and hopefully get one of them tied into it, the bigger picture, where they actually put something into some effort to take some of their boards that would wind up in the dump and instead uh, try it out and feed them to the worms and just give it use it for a little publicity of trying to do something green and something like that.
0: Wow, that's really awesome. That's really beautiful. So um, have you done, like, research on each section of the board? Because, I mean, right, so parts of it is uh, styrofoam, but then there's fiberglass. Is that eaten by something?
1: No, that's not eaten by something. But fiberglass, there are that. You can grind it up and you can remelt it down with epoxy, and you can actually use it on a surfboard again. All the outer layers can be ground down into a usable material and then added to another surfboard within a resin. To make Whoa. It, but the, circle, the inner core this is the part that actually lasts on the planet so long.
0: Whoa! After. So that's amazing. So in other words, we're one step away from sending our boards back to the manufacturer, them digesting it, growing some you know, side crops for their workers, and then you know, reusing that same fiberglass to, to do new boards.
1: You got it. That's where that's where it
0: should be going, right? Woo! I saw your your story about you coming from Hawaii and bringing this amazing just you you have this vision for where we could be going with partnering with nature. That's really powerful. And you know, where did that come from?
1: I would have to say from observation and necessity.
0: Right. Sort of- so you were immersed in an in an environment where nature was 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 thriving
1: in a remote valley on one of the outer islands in Hawaii where the water comes from the waterfall, fast food is what's faster than you in the ocean, in the mountain. And you sort of learn to get in with the rhythm of nature. Uh, A morning for me was wake up at five in the morning, go out onto the reef and throw net and catch some fish, Uh, take that home and then go surf, surf for a few hours, work in my garden work on whatever project I had going uh, to grow food with. And through following that rhythm, I would watch down by the river underneath my house, the leaves would fall from the trees into the lo'i, which is a taro patch, which is sort of like a aquaculture, gardening, ancient uh, form of farming set up by the Hawaiians. Uh, using that as a model and seeing how just the leaves falling from the trees down by the river and the worms eating it. And I'd go into that corner where I had inadvertently thrown all the leftover parts from the taro in that same pile. And all of a sudden there's this rich, thick, black mound of living earth. And I was able to take that and spread it out into the high taro patches, the like I mentioned earlier. And it would flow down through the taro patches and it would nurture them. And I would have these crazy results, record-sized taro, and in a, in a time where the only examples around me, the university was constantly handing out a chemical formula. They didn't really have an organic program. So in doing that, most of the farmers, they followed the ancient waterways and had their lois set up. But in, in place of putting kakui leaves and organic matter that was deposited by the stream around the valley, they started throwing in triple 16. Uh, which is uh, uh, a petroleum-based fertilizer made from recycled bombs, basically. So that's what I would see around me going on in the tarot path in this pristine place. So I was determined to uh, follow my mentor, Mother Nature, and try to um, mimic the things that she was doing so perfect. I'll use the term she is, just uh, our mother, the planet Earth, Um, in the sense of, to watch the perfect example set before me by Mother Nature and to try to, yeah, follow those rules. A lot of people, just as a, a off rant, they ask me, hey, how'd you get into farming and how'd you get into gardening? Um, well, when I, at a really young age, I noticed, what were all the oldest people doing? What were my elders doing? My elders were gardening. They were out in the rose gardens. They were out in their vegetable gardens. So I was like, well, wow, these guys have been on the planet for a while. They must have learned something to be out here at this moment. So I figured I'd get an early start on it. If that makes any sense.
0: That is awesome. Yeah, so, you know, I grew up with a garden around me and nature all, all kind of all around me. I was in I was in New England. But it it was nature that had been like tamed so many times that it was really this like muted sense of nature, and I didn't really realize it and even the garden i grew up with was really a muted sense of what a garden is compared to what i understand a garden to be now so yeah i totally i totally could see how being in the actual seeing what mother nature can do because i i've seen it now because i you know i took a permaculture course i started uh, setting things up and then suddenly biodiversity showed up and that's when you start learning i mean in permaculture people like talk about the design is what they're learning it's like no the design is the stage for you to start partnering with Mother Nature, and then that's your real education, is learning
1: directly. I like that. Excuse me, sorry, I like that. The stage for observation. That's where the real learning begins, once you can sit down and observe what's going on. Excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt.
0: No, the, you're, you're, you're spot on. I totally agree. So, so that's very beautiful. That's, that, you know, there's a lot of, I see this pattern in a lot of our, our leaders, in the regenerative space and in this partnership with nature space where they've had these you know these these moments in these pockets of space where they've got to see nature or they got to experience what life was like um, in in earlier times and it's so critical that your story gets shared with a greater audience and I'm so grateful that you're here. So out of this came some incredible new discoveries, one of which is that mealworms can eat styrofoam.
1: Uh, yeah, hey, uh, first on a note on that, yeah, thank you for uh, having me here. Um, uh, so glad just to be able to share it with people because through education is the path to stewardship and as people learn and they build a relationship with Mother Nature, she builds ambassadors ambassadors of stewardship that are taking care and so for me that's really awesome and i feel honored to be here and uh to be able to talk to everyone about it as well so sorry about that this is before the mealworms there so going into the mealworms um having these examples around me of seeing these worms eat these leaves into an awesome fertilizer let me point out as well that i didn't really go to school I sort of gave up on school by the fourth or fifth grade. Surfing grabbed me in my life, and my world has been built around the ocean with fishing and surfing and farming. And so being able to find a way to grow all the best food in the world, I also wanted to be able to give people food, and I didn't want to have to wait till I acquired before I was on the giving end of the stick. So I realized early, really, as well that The more I could grow, the more I could share with people and give to them. So the idea of being able to build with worms, I started noticing that it's not one worm that eats the leaves. There's subterranean worms, there's mid-level worms. They all work with each other. And there's also different myceliums and different uh, mycorrhizal cultures and such that start to build a web within this composting material that these worms eat down. So I'm going to backtrack for a second. I said I didn't go to school but I really wanted to educate myself. So I've made it a point to educate myself through libraries and sitting in on university lectures and whatever I could do to cross my T's and dot my I's so that I, knew, I know what a mycelium is or a mycorrhizal culture. So I started to try to take my observation to another level and observe what those things were doing and how they were interacting and be able to cross my t's and dot my i's and not hand out any misinformation not let the enthusiasm get ahead of the facts throw it out there in a way where i could share it with people but it's also backed up by facts um so with these experiments of taking these different worms isolating them sticking them in their own tanks i realized that certain earthworms would eat cardboard they'd also eat all of your vegetable scraps And My fascination with creatures eating things to compost them a living composting system That's not what most of us know, which is thermophilic composting, which is a chemical reaction stuff heats up to high temperatures Releases a lot of carbon in the atmosphere methane quite a few other gases that contribute to some of our problems right now I'm not saying that hot composting is a bad thing because all composting is awesome Um, But a different way to get at it is a living compost where creatures actually eat what you put for them down into the material that's needed. That way it doesn't have to um, uh, tie up the nitrogen or bind it. Everything's available for your plants to eat. So, in my fascination with the worms and composting and trying to put as many creatures as I could into the picture, I started doing working with fish quite a bit. And it's nice to have something to feed your fish. So I started to bring mealworms home and I had a bunch of them stored in a styrofoam container. And they actually ate the styrofoam container. They ate right through it. So I noticed. Sorry there wasn't much of a pause in that between what I was talking about earlier. You can interrupt me and slow me down at any time, by the way.
0: No, that's awesome. So I'm what did you do when you discovered it, that? Huh? So what, what, was, what was the immediate reaction when you discovered that?
1: Wow. These mealworms will eat styrofoam. Amazing.
0: Did you Google so, it? Were you the first? Like, uh,
1: so I, I believe I was actually the first guy who was ever feeding mealworms styrofoam. So I'll tell you the history of this and how it's worked out so far. The meal, as far as I know, the, I don't claim anything because we're all tapped into the collective consciousness of the universe in a sense. I feel like anything that's said or that you can think about some great mind is going to thought of it already. That's all about inspiring each other to think these thoughts. But these mealworms eat through it, so I'm like, wow, they eat styrofoam. This is amazing. So I started putting them in tanks, isolating them, and feeding them styrofoam, and they eat it. So it turns out this worm, years later, and the way it works out is I came to Southern California here from Hawaii to start some of my experiments here, and one thing that I was searching out in particular was a different worm because the worm that I was using, it would only live for a month of active eating styrofoam and then it would pupate and it would turn into a beetle so it wasn't very efficient at it so i had an idea that there was other worms that would be more efficient at it and i was right and i'll get into that in a second but while i came to california i grabbed a bunch of these other worms that i have that i'm using right now they eat 10 times the amount of styrofoam of the mealworm they live for a year eating styrofoam which is amazing so then they eat quite a bit of it So they're really useful. No one has ever done a study on these worms yet. As far as I know, we're the only ones with this information that we've been keeping track of and we're trying to get some universities to pick it up and actually do some formal studies. I'll backtrack now. After we were here in California a year, the Stanford University released a study about mealworms eating styrofoam. And they confirmed most of our suspicions through the use of electron microscopes and like really great minds. There's a published study on it. I don't have a link to it, but I bet you could probably Google mealworms eating styrofoam Stanford study, and you could bring that up. And so they determined through all of their equipment and all of their professors that it was actually indeed organic material. About 30% of it was turning into CO2, and the rest of it was turning into an organic material again, and they discovered that there was a bacteria that lives in the gut of the mule worm is actually very similar to a bacteria that eats uh, petroleum uh, that they use on some of the oil spills. And they've determined that, yes, they do turn it back into organic material. So where we're at now is we have another worm. It's a super worm. It's much bigger. It's much sturdier. The beetle can live for 15 years. I They won't pupate be, as long as they're all together in a big mass, which is great because that's what you need to get them to eat the styrofoam. Right. And it's, so they're, they're incredible, and no one's ever done a study on them. So we're sitting on that. I have years of notes and information and video and time lapse that proves it beyond the shadow of a doubt. So we're at the point right now where we're kind of reaching out to who wants to be the guys to have their uh, old blanks reclaimed and take the um, polyester resin or epoxy resin and grind it off and recycle it and actually – Eat the blanks to the worms I'm not saying that I would necessarily eat vegetables grown from styrofoam with the worms but at least it's a start so we have been growing vegetables with it we've been growing flowers and different things just to see what will grow in it just in our own experiments and things do grow uh so whatever's to be said for that
0: I would just push it further I mean the discovery about how people were like humus isn't stable, it's always getting finer and finer and finer, which is really cool. I would just push it further. No so that's what i have
1: been doing, excuse me, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt again. Do you, you want to finish that thought?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would just put, put it into a compost or put it into another cycle where you let bacteria and fungi work on it and do a further process.
1: So, so that's what I have right now. I have 32 tanks set up, um, and I've, been, I've had them set up now for over a year. And I have them in all different stages of processing. I have them mixed with my isol cultures. I have them mixed with yogurt, lactobacillus cultures. I have them mixed with different compost scenarios, and they're also with several different composting worms. They seem to work really, really well with composting worms. Once the worm vermicost uh, vermicol- post starts to break down and actually become a casting, and there's not uh, the food is in a different state they'll constantly eat the styrofoam right in with the worm mix. So I've grown some plants out of that, and obviously they're like super plants, but that's because the worm castings are always so awesome on their own. But interesting, yeah, they're definitely getting processed down to a whole nother state through the mycelium cultures and the different fungi, and, and not to mention all the little creatures that are in there as well.
0: So I gotta ask. So, so we've had several guests on this program that were basically unschooled. They taught themselves, and they are almost all citizen science scientists. And you're basically a citizen. I mean, you're a citizen scientist. You're out there. You're doing these experiments. Um, what What made you feel like you could go out and do that?
1: excuse me? What, what made me what?
0: What made you feel like you had, you could just go out and start doing tests, you know, and, and just uh, do these experiments? Because so many people feel held back by that, and maybe it's just schooling that, that we naturally, all of us, experiment. I do experiments in my garden, because I just want to know. I don't. I want to see what's going to happen. But I know so many people are held back. So, did you have a moment where you felt like, I'm going to try it. I, I feel like I, I need to just start testing things.
1: Well, I think that As a kid, wanting to mimic what was going on around me, uh, I was already led in that direction uh, and inspired by nature, nature that was right there. But I think the turning point came probably in my early 20s when I started to incorporate my methods into larger farms and consult for other farms that had seen what I'd been doing in the valley. And they would ask me to help them build soil that the university basically told them was dead. The university at the time did not have an organic program. And what they would do is they would come out and test your soil and tell you you're low in this, 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 and this. And you need this petroleum additive and this. And they had a totally chemical program. Sound program as far as conventional farming goes. Because you can grow vegetables with conventional farming. But you can't grow soil. So... For years and years, these farms that had been abused by pineapples and sugarcane and papayas and different things that were just being grown by these farmers who put the dollar first and with no consideration for the land, the university was telling these farmers that you can't grow anything there. It's, it's ungrowable. So I said, oh, give me a chance. Let me set up a big pond with some fish in it. Let me bring some of my worms in. And let me strategically plant some plants that I know have a nutrient content as well as take the things that you guys are considering an invasive plant that's in the way out there. Uh, the one in particular I'm talking about is a legume called, uh, we call it halikau. can't remember. I, I can actually text you the scientific name for it after this sometime. We can post it to this. Um, but I what I did was I showed up. I put in a 700-foot-long lo- lo- row of what we call vetiver grass, which is a special grass with a deep root system almost 20 feet deep. The roots will go down in the subsoil that the plants at the surface never touched. They're actually to bring minerals up and acquire it in their green material, which you can constantly cut and mulch with. So yeah. we, we brought in the vetiver. We took the plant that was there, the halekoa, and we cut them down with chainsaws into little stumps right in a straight line. We kept a 700-foot-long row in a straight line, and then the vetiver grass planted right next to them. Then above them, we put up a 10,000-gallon pond a pond with some fish in it and a bunch of fish, tilapia in particular. We put about 800 two-pound tilapia, and it is what I first stocked that one with. And there was another tank above it as well, which we hooked a water wheel up to. So any water that came into the farm would first come into the top tank. And then when it dropped to the second tank, it would make our electricity. We charged the battery bank. And then that same water that made electricity for us would now be super oxygenated by the Pelton wheels, which were making the electricity.
0: Oh, you use Pelton wheels. Sweet.
1: So so we got oxygen for our fish. I've been experimenting with Pelton wheels and alternators since I was a kid. I've always lived off grid, so I've had to make my own electricity, and that all comes with it. Uh, So so not to get into that. So what happened was once we were able to use this water, bring it into the farm where it would be used once to water plants or whatever – We made electricity with it. We made oxygen for the fish. Then the fish lived in it and neutrified it with nitrogen and all of their poop and everything that they had to add to it. Then from that point, we took the water out of there and we ran that water over this green material, the vetiver grass that we would lay down in a mulch, and also the haole that we were able to cut and then lay this nitrogen-rich fish water on it. And within two weeks, we had thousands of pounds of pure green manure from the trees the light fresh green growth we cut it off laid it in the piles cut it off laid it in the piles after we had done that for about two months running this fish water on top of this bed of vetiver grass and cut holly within six months we have like six inches of the richest blackest worm casting topsoil you've ever seen and in a place that it was ungrowable we managed to pull off papaya crops that were like through the roof, best papayas that had ever been grown there. And so the university started to, like, actually, at first they were like, oh, don't, don't listen to this guy. you got to use our program. They don't know what they're talking about. There's nothing here. There's no nitrogen in that soil. And my answer to them was, well, why their grass growing? Well, if there's no nitrogen in there, wouldn't it just be pure dirt? There'd be nothing growing in it? You know what I mean? They're not legumes that are pulling nitrogen from the atmosphere. So – Putting two and two together, what I realized was they had this awesome inert medium left because they'd taken all the life out of the soil. All we had to do was be creative and throw the life back into the soil. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah. That's amazing.
1: So it's a long answer, but the answer is, too, is like, what's the turning point? So the university was very critical on me. They didn't recognize this kid has a fourth grade education, blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling them, no, guys, stay away from the chemicals. But rather than attack everybody and telling anybody they were doing anything wrong with chemicals, that's not my style. What I did was grow entire wheelbarrows full of eggplant and beautiful vegetables and giant taro. And I gave it away to people and I shared it and I sold it. And I let it get out there that you can grow soil. And when you grow soil, you can grow awesome, awesome food. So... After a while, the university had to kind of, the Extension University on the Outer Arms, they kind of had to be like, oh, yeah, wow, this makes sense, actually. Uh, and once they got an organic program going, which is it's just recently, it's really cool to see some of the changes that are taking hold and the mentality changing a little bit just through, you know, inspiration.
0: That's absolutely incredible. So that's amazing. This is... <laughs> I really hope that you uh, you start publishing You know all this information. I can help you with that because um, uh, I'm the guy that teaches uh, people to self-publish and skip uh, all the publishing houses.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the process. Um, my partner at Living Earth Systems, uh, Sam, she's, usually we do interviews and stuff together. She's not here with me right now. She's in out of state, but um, she's also trying to help as well. And we're trying to put a book together right now. I don't know how far off we are from having it together, but I'm trying to include it in different sections. Part of it is about building soil. Part of it is about turning swimming pools into living aquaponic systems that people can still swim in. Part of it's about uh, how can we get creative with atmospheric watering. Some it's how can we recycle our surfboards with styrofoam. And we're just trying to get creative and spread the word to people that these things are all doable and the more influence greater minds than ourselves to actually take some of these causes on. Then we can start a snowball that rolls down the hill. So like that's my thought is just to grow beautiful things and create beautiful places that people are like moved by and it brings them a little closer to nature and a connection.
0: That is awesome. So, your you, your company is Living Earth Systems.
1: Yeah, Living Earth Systems.
0: And it's in it's in Southern California. So, tell us what what what's a typical month when your business like?
1: What is a typical month in our business like?
0: Right, you're yeah. De- I know that you're designing natural pools and you're you're doing aquaponics.
1: We well, we've been kind of doing a lot of free stuff for people, actually. We've just been uh, getting it out there and helping people with a lot of projects. And wow. there's a place, I go back and forth between Hawaii constantly, and I don't live in Southern California. I actually just have these projects here. My house is tucked away in a little hidden valley in the Hawaiian Islands, which I'm not telling everybody really where that is because it's a very small community, and we like to be respectful of not putting it out there too much, so it stays a very small community. But... Yeah, I'm floating back and forth is what I do. And what I'm trying to uh, establish is education centers, places where people can come and see hands on how to build soil out of cardboard, how to take their kitchen scraps and feed it to earthworms, how to take some of the resources that they have here. Like I came to California and I'm looking with the agriculture. It's devastating. It's been really, really bad examples. And when I d- dig deeper, it's kind of a very similar scenario to Hawaii where the chemical commercial farming is giant. So all the universities, most of them don't even have organic programs. Until recently in the last few years, when the industry has picked it up on that level, they've only started to do that. So they're just scratching the surface. So you don't see really any of the universities endorsing things like regenerative farming and taking it to a whole nother level of how do we make something economically viable, but take care of it, malama, you know what I mean? Take care of it so that it's there for our grandchildren.
0: Absolutely. The universities that are using permaculture and regenerative stuff are mostly the smaller universities, the large state universities and ag universities, even those that have organic programs. What's really kind of embarrassing is they just do a regular or like agriculture conventional program and then they add in a couple courses that they call organic.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous. And we need to change that. You know what I mean? Uh, We need to like inspire people to start thinking out of the box a little bit and go beyond what we know and like so i mean that's how the world we thought was flat at one time and we got past that by kind of getting out there and you know observing and seeing that it really wasn't
0: (laughs) yeah and we were back in a time period where people are so insulated they're they're stuck in that like you know flat world kind of thinking again in a lot of ways and i think that the the only cure is your teacher
1: (laughs) well so one thing we're finding out right now is that Southern California and California in general people are eager for knowledge oh yeah part of the solution so for me right now it feels like incredibly empowering to be able to share with people something that a, conne- a connection to nature has brought me through these years of observation and sticking my hands into it and now I can turn that into practical real stuff for people I have a demonstration center set up in Fallbrook California for the last year and a half I've taken a parking lot that was basically uh, decomposed granite that was ungrowable on an old nursery site and on that site using these conve- these methods that I've created We turned the swimming pool that was on site into a living swimming pool that has happy little girls swimming around in it. And it's awesome. And instead of it poisoning the land around it, it actually helped build this area into six inches of this incredible topsoil that we have so much abundance growing in right now that we're constantly posting on our social media and sharing with people, uh, doing different farm to table events that we do education and we share with people what's going on and how they can build soil and how they can keep a lot of the stuff that's in their household out of the dump and actually turn it into vegetables.
0: Yeah, going back to the decomposed granite thing. So I heard you talk about how California kind of spoiled and don't realize what's under their feet. So when, right. I, so when I started doing real composting and then started doing compost tea with it, because I was working with two acres, so I couldn't do compost two inches on everything. That's crazy. So, I stretched it by growing the soil life from the compost and scaling that up and spraying it on everything. And I had this soil that was, you know, decomposed granite. And we're lit like it literally transforms into like real soil and it looks like magic. Um, and I don't know if it's just like very soluble to life or something, but I grew feet of soil and it wasn't like I added. Feet of organic matter. It's like what happened was all that stuff below the 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 the, the line between like the mulch I added and the uh, compost tea disappeared and then went way deep. And so I mean, what what can you say to to, to our fellow Californians, uh, my fellow Californians, uh, about what we can do with this soil that everyone
1: thinks is dead? Uh, I, that's the. The perfect example of what we're trying to share with people right now through Simply. Okay, in Hawaii, everyone thinks that our soil is so great. A lot of places it's basalt. It doesn't have like deep mineral content where you have like phosphorus and tons of potassium available in your soil here. And this decomposed granite. If we we ask ourselves what is soil? Soil is rock that's taken years and years to break down through uh, through um, erosion, but not only through erosion through Fungus, through mycorrhizal culture, through little creatures that eat it and spit out humic acid around it that actually break it down slowly but surely. So, when you're talking about decomposed granite, you're talking about some of the oldest stuff on the planet rock that has basically broken down in the soil that's missing one thing organic material. So, now you have this incredible material that's rich in all these nutrients and minerals. And you simply need to give it organic material and moisture. And the idea of having living creatures that you throw into that mix, we don't even till. We allow the creatures to till for us.
0: And they do such so, a good job. Excuse me? They do such a good job. It's crazy that we, we've got this whole other concept. because, And especially, I, I watched one of your videos and I encourage everyone to go to your website and check out this video where you're talking about the different levels that worms are, are living at in the soil
1: yeah let's talk about worms for a second uh so for years you hear about composting worms and you look at all the systems and they're all the same i'm using one type of worm i'm using a red wriggler i'm using uh, an african night crawler i'm using this i'm using that blah 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 so when we look in nature and how worms work i noticed that any worm bin that i had on the ground the amethyst gracilis which is a, a deep dweller giant worm it would tunnel up and it would ta- it would eat material from the other worms and it would bring it down deep in the soil Not only that, it would leave its castings of rock material that it's ground up in its gizzard in order to get to its feed and its own bacteria, and it would mix them and leave them with the other worms. They would eat that. So then I realized, oh, wow, the worm bins that I was able to take to the university and have tested that had four different types of worms with them were superior on every level, higher nitrogen, higher phosphorus, higher potassium, and that was really cool to be able to just see this difference right here in front of me and go wow these worms are incredible so one is in these deep tunnels and they're bringing material up and they work together that's what they do so the idea of then setting my worm bins up so they weren't just contained in worm bins but they have access to the land around them they become fertility hubs and they're able to do what really needs to be done lay down the network for the mycelium and the mycorrhizal cultures the web of life that's needed to make this a really sustainable foundation for growing and that's like uh what we need to start to share with each other more and more is like this foundation that's set up by nature has been set up over millions of years and we've interrupted it everywhere but we're at a day and age where the combination of knowledge technology and everything together we can rebuild it we can actually mimic it and speed it up and we can do the same mother's nature's done in millions of years in a year, but through like learning from what it's done and not interrupting it so much. That makes sense.
0: Absolutely.
1: I go off on a rant on that, but basically that, uh, the, uh, decomposed granite along with mulching and adding the right things in place, such as cultures, bacterial, um, mycelium, fungal, and living creatures, boatloads, of earthworms, and then letting what comes from your neighborhood naturally. We teach a thing in our course on our website, and I call it taking stock of your environment. And the course is actually about how to build a yard, a square yard of soil with nothing but your kitchen waste, what's around you, and sand. Wow. And so then you have all the components of what soil is. So one part of that course, we teach people that if you want to have what we call IMOs, indigenous microorganisms, to your area, then we teach them to go to a healthy tree in the neighborhood somewhere and pull leaves from the bottom of it and observe. Take it home. Tell us what's in it. We'll identify it for you. And then you kind of get a feel for what's going on. Everybody has a healthy tree somewhere in their neighborhood, even in the middle of the city. And with those little cultures of a healthy environment, you can plant it like a seed in an environment that's not healthy. And then when you set it up and nurture it, you can allow it to create this um, balance again. So that's one of the things we teach is that by collecting things around you and using what's available for for you from cardboard to your kitchen scraps to leaves in a tree out in your yard that you're throwing in your bin that's going to the dump, all those things are usable resources to build soil with, whether it be for your landscape or whether you're into growing vegetables. But at least, you're keeping some stuff out of the dump and you're nurturing the environment around you, which helps in every respect from groundwater to erosion to, I I mean, I could go down the list into a long rant on that, but I won't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It might be endless that list.
1: Yeah, it is. (laughs) You know how, how that goes. But I think once people take the first step and they feel a connection and they're like, wow, they see some results. I, how do we inspire people but to me the question's always been you can inspire people all day long and they're inspired for a month or a day or a week but how do you get them to incorporate these practices into their everyday life that's my big question which I'm really trying to work on in interaction through events and hands-on and bringing people and showing them the results of what can be done that maybe it clicks in enough where they'll take part of it and make it a practice in their life
0: absolutely I mean I'm right there too it's about education, example, and experience. And, you know, we're doing these things, we're learning about these things, we're sharing these things, and then we're inviting people to take part in it.
1: Yeah, really cool. Really cool.
0: So how can, so how can people learn more about you? Let's talk about your
1: website. Our website is livingearthsystems.com and reach out, say hi. Eddie at livingearthsystems.com or we also have an Instagram account and Facebook and all that on social media. That's all living earth systems.com. Reach out to us. Say hi. Uh, we got a lot of cool things going on. We give some free seeds away. If you have a school or you're interested in our worms, we're happy to set you up with some worms. Call us up and talk to us. Um, and we're also, you know, that's basically it. We're pretty approachable and easy to get a hold of. If you send us an email, we will get back with you.
0: Amazing. So,
1: yeah, we, we go to a lot of different farms lately and i've been doing a lot of just helping people get it together and setting them up with management programs and identifying the resources that they have all around them that they don't even realize they have yeah the last farm i visited uh they had a spring on the land that was a surface spring and they didn't even know it huh. and they couldn't put their water bill and within a week we have them watering with their spring
0: amazing
1: <laughs> yeah it's a uh really really awesome
0: <laughs> that's amazing yeah. oh wow so i'm definitely going to have to hit you up and ask you for uh for some mealworms and then we're going to not start buying styrofoam i haven't been bought in styrofoam i don't know how, when but we have to start collecting it from the street and have it be just our recycling our way of giving back and i'm going to have my kids uh, do it and it's going to be awesome so
1: what i suggest is take a an ibc tote i think everybody in the permaculture world's kind of familiar with those it's like a 270 gallon water tank with a like an aluminum frame around it, sort of right. Cut a hole big enough that you have access into it so you can get in and out of it, and throw a little bit of some dry rice husks. It could be cardboard, it could be leaves, uh, whatever. There's a million different mediums that you could use in there, but throw a little bit of that in there, maybe coat the bottom four inches, and then go to order from your local mealworm supplier. I actually, what you would, what you want to do is you want to contact me because this is a specific type of worm and I can set up an order enough for you to fill the bit, to fill the four inches of the bin with and then just throw your styrofoam in there. And when your styrofoam reaches the top, just leave it for a while and let it do what it does. And that's the way to go. And don't, they they don't eat a lot, but they eat enough where if you filled that bin to the top, It'd probably take them about a year and a half to eat it all, but they would eat it all, and it would all be turned into organic material, and that beats, what, 3,000 years of uh, polystyrene on the planet just sitting and being gobbled up by turtles and birds and everything else?
0: Oh, my word. We had to create an ocean cleanup program that uses this, like yesterday. Yeah, for sure.
1: Right. Uh, it, to me, it almost seems simple. Like, pull the things that can be recycled out, melt them down and recycle them, the sun ovens, parabolic reflectors. you are <laughs> not using petroleum. And then take everything that can't be and find answers like these. There's another worm that actually eats plastic right now. And the reason I've stayed away from that study myself is I've, I heard about it years and years ago in India is where they found it. And it's a silkworm. That particular silkworm, worm, actually, is, uh, it really invades bees, and it's a gnarly pest for honeybees. So it's not something I want to have on any of my work sites working with it because I don't want to, you know, let the enthusiasm get ahead of the facts. And next thing you know, all my beehives are full of wax worms. Yeah. So and, and they're in the right environment. Just like people are so down on GMOs, uh, I'm not down with GMOs, but I know that they could potentially be useful if they were in a controlled environment. But what's happening is people are just letting them out into the free flow experiments with no regulation on them and no uh, undercover. And I just think there's a strong potential for something to really go wrong. So it's like finding that balance in our lives of really identifying what's going on so we can make a choice to make a difference.
0: Yeah. No, it's completely true that in an isolated case, we could create perpetual motion machines with just biology Um, uh, using... I would say you could use natural organisms. You don't need to use GMO. Uh, My only thing with GMO is is it doesn't operate within our understanding of the way genetics actually works when you pop out a sequence of genes it's actually a spectrum of phenotypic expression and so it's placement so it's syntax in the sequence and then it's epigenetic um, switches which are uh, you know it's conditional so it's the environment in which you're in and your habits and your perception of that environment that all bundle into it so I can't prove that we know of any, with any certainty what would happen. Uh, there's, there's way too many um, variables um, so, so, with, with, with genetic modification. Um,
1: I, I, I totally agree with you, man. I'm, I'm not for genetic modification, but I'm not going to be the guy who's just against something without knowing. I'd rather observe and watch it go down, and that's more like what I'm sharing for people. I think once you observe and you do your homework, there's so much more gnarly things when it comes to GMOs in the crop industry and what they're doing. It's not to feed the world. It's for petroleum. It's for big bucks in uh, uh, herbicide realms and all sorts of corporate things that people are so unaware of. But I totally agree with you. You're so right. You have an experiment that's out there with no regulation on it, and no, I'm not for it. I want to clarify that. But that's through my experience, and that's why I'm not for it, because I do know the facts. But I'm not going to spit out to anybody. I'm actually trying to say it from the perspective of, hey, even with uh, commercial farming, there's some commercial farmers out there that really tow the line and have some really awesome farm operations and are on top of it. Uh, but still, yet yeah, they can't grow soil. They can only grow food. You know what I mean? Like, So... Yeah, we have to think to the future, and everything that we do, we need to really think out of the box. How is it going to affect us 20 years from now? And there's no way the GMOs are doing that right now.
0: Yeah, speaking of that, let's let our final thought be. So what do you see for the next 20 years for San Diego? Like, if you reached the San Diego audience and the group consciousness, and they were just like, tell us more. (laughs) you know, what what would you envision, you know, it being? Because in in my experience, I envision it being completely different from what we see today.
1: So if we can get the children taken home to their parents vegetables that were grown with cardboard, and they can show their parents that it's not that hard to do, and that they want to do it, it's something that empowers not only them, but reaches the parents through the children. And I think that, like, the future of like where we're going. I, I would see it that in the next few years that we ban styrofoam here and all the styrofoam that we do have, we feed it to the worms and we educate children that we can do it. So some of them grow up to be way better minds and maybe they all turn it into paint on the houses. I mean, who knows? But um, like we inspire out of the box a bit. The idea of reaching people to the point where we inspire them that it's a possibility But not only that, that 20 years' time, you can change a whole mindset and how things are treated. And maybe people will start throwing packing material made out of mycelium, something they can grow rather than styrofoam for packing material. Maybe people will start, and I already see that process happening right now. People are starting to think out of the box. So there's gonna be this transition. And I think San Diego, because people, there's some great minds here, and people really, Want to be able to change through like what you're doing, bringing it into schools and educating people and letting them know that, wow, half the stuff you're taking to the dump doesn't even really need to go there. If you just did something as simple as found a simple sorting system where all that really had to go to the dump was maybe your plastic stuff and everything else could be either eaten by worms and turned into vegetables or it could somehow be uh, utilized in some other way.
0: Once we get there, we're, we're going to see... I mean, it's crazy once we get there because people don't understand how fast and how effective nature is. But once we do, it's, we're never going to go back. That's the funny thing about this. People are so resistant to it. But once they taste this fruit, the, the, it's too sweet. You know, we'll never go back.
1: It's like really, it's just consistency. People ask me about it and they're like, oh, you got a green thumb. No, it's really not a green thumb. It's basically... A couple of things. There's a commitment to it and there's a patience and consistency. And that's what I would have to say is the golden rule for any of it. If it was to watching the mealworms eat the styrofoam and coming up with a formula for it, or if it's just waiting for the worms to eat the wood chips that you put over them and take that line, that horizon line from in between the crummy soil and the wood chips and blend it together like you were talking about in your own garden. That whole idea of that you know grow the soil let's
0: grow the soil i love it thank you so much for joining us today eddie it's been I love your stories and i can't wait for them to be available for everyone to be reading or watching and you know if you want to see a video on this stuff uh or at least part of the conversation we had today go to his website because you won't be disappointed it's really amazing
1: Was that pretty easy to link up to and get on there when you went to the uh, homepage?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think it was uh, the video that pops right up when you just go on there. And man, it's it's a really inspiring story and it's really amazing to see those mealworms do their work and to see the beauty of these pondscapes.
1: Yeah, right on, yeah, we're really excited about that. That's kind of a way. So I've also been in the surf industry and kite surfing industry for years um through being an athlete and the idea of being able to incorporate that into the film that's i think that's a short eight minute version of it but to add some of this into here that's a way to reach the kids because we're inspiring them with you know 50 foot jumps on our kites and pulling into barrels and inspiring through action sports and california is really about surfing it's a big part of the culture here so to be able to bring that with the farming stuff we do and share that with the community here it's pretty cool
0: That is awesome. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, Thank
1: you, Matt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so grateful to have you on here and to be able to share your message with, with our audience.
1: Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you everybody for listening and aloha and we hope to hear from you. Aloha. Aloha.
0: Awesome. Wow, that was an incredible talk with Eddie. And Eddie's such a good guy. He's got such a big heart. And he's also an ambassador for nature. Let's all take on that role and be ambassadors for nature. Embrace what we can, where we're at, and do what we can. Because nature is doing so much for us, we don't even realize it. And we need to start ramping those things up to have an abundant future. So join us. Join us in creating an abundant future. Join us in the regeneration. Thank you so much. Check out the link I have in the description this week. There's some free videos that I wanna share with you guys how to fight climate change holistically. So go check that out. Um, That's a gift from me to you. Enjoy and have a wonderful regenerative week.